How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. The mobile phone industry usually isn't considered on the leading edge of the drive toward more sustainable business practices. Phones are full of toxic materials, and the whole system is designed to convince consumers their handsets are old-fashioned soon after they're purchased. Yet Newsweek magazine ranked Sprint number six on its list of the greenest U.S. companies overall in 2010. As Sprint CEO, Dan Hesse is trying to reduce the amount of energy consumed transmitting voice and data around the world. He's also encouraging his managers to make investments in clean energy, build LEED-certified stores, and sell handsets with recyclable materials and less e-waste. Those efforts are part of his bid to differentiate third-place Sprint, a $32 billion company, from the $200 billion giants that dominate the industry, AT&T and Verizon. Mr. Hesse will make some remarks, and then we'll have a conversation, including questions from our live audience here in San Francisco. So please welcome Dan Hesse. That's great. Well, thank you, Greg, for that uh, kind introduction. And uh, I'd also like to thank uh, Dr. Gloria Duffy and the Commonwealth Club, not only for inviting me to speak uh, with you today, but also for all the terrific work that you do. I was here a little less than a year ago, and uh, I've been looking forward to coming back to discuss two very important issues, uh, innovation uh, and the environment. California and its uh, residents have been leaders in innovation. California drives change. The information technology industry was created and honed in garages, labs, and classrooms in the state. Uh, from entertainment to micro and nanotechnology to software development, uh, the U.S., looks to California for leadership and innovation. And while I'm talking to you today, uh, we've come in here from Kansas City, myself and my 15-year-old son. He's playing hooky from school today, and he is down in the valley um, seeing a number of these innovative companies that, uh, that reside here. Uh, today um, is exactly a week before Earth Day, and I want to talk to you um, about what wireless innovation can do to protect uh, the climate here uh, in California as well as the planet. Unfortunately, I have to start with a warning. Um, as we meet here today, the innovative power of the wireless industry is under serious threat. As many of you know, AT&T has proposed to acquire T-Mobile USA, and there has been a great deal um, already discussed about the acquisition's potential harmful impacts on consumers and pricing, but to my surprise, very little attention has been paid to its potential impact on the wireless industry's ability to foster innovation. Uh, if AT&T is allowed to swallow T-Mobile, competition will be stifled, growth will be stifled, and wireless innovation will be jeopardized. As uh, many of you know firsthand, Silicon Valley is a hotbed of innovation precisely because it's so competitive. And competition is certainly why wireless has become one of the most transformative technologies in history. In less than three decades, it has revolutionized our daily lives and also revolutionized almost every industry. It took 
over 100 years to build 1 billion fixed phone lines. But in only 20 years, we've added 5 billion mobile subscribers worldwide. There are more mobile phones in use in the world today than TVs, PCs, and automobiles combined. Data is the wireless term that we use. We talk about wireless data for email, text, web browsing, and so on. Last year, for the first time in the U.S., we carried more data traffic than voice traffic. Within the next three years, data traffic will be 66 times what it was just in 2008. Already, mobile is central to the lives lives of American children. I don't know if that's good or bad. 58% of 12-year-olds in this country now own a cell phone. 83% of 17-year-olds do. Mobile applications are exploding. In fact, mobile application downloads across all handsets worldwide are poised to grow from 7 billion in 2009 to almost 50 billion three years later in 2012, a year-over-year growth rate of 92%. Smartphones are replacing lots of things, calculators, watches, camcorders, address books, and cameras. There, as a matter of fact, one of my other favorite stats is there have been more cameras sold as part of smartphones than all standalone cameras sold in history, analog and digital. Cell phones are among, as well, the most personal things that we own. It's where we store our contacts, our photos, emails, and text messages. The downstream economic impact of a thriving wireless industry is undeniable. Savings for U.S. companies from using wireless technologies will increase from $18 billion in 2005 to almost $73 billion by 2016. It's estimated that in the next 10 years, productivity gains from the deployment and use of wireless devices will generate almost $860 billion in additional U.S. GDP. A duopoly could threaten this future. At a time when the wireless industry is at a tipping point, the innovation is particularly strong. It's at this time the Department of Justice is being asked to allow two companies to control approximately 80% of the industry's revenues. A duopoly in the wireless industry could slow innovation and move America backward when we are just emerging, that is, this country, as the world leader in mobile technology and innovation, and we just can't let this happen. The competitive spirit is wired into the DNA that we have at Sprint. We you know, not only embrace uh, competition, we thrive on it. We've long been considered a leader in innovation. Sprint was that company that brought the first nationwide Fiber optic network, remember Candace Bergen, at least you older guys like me do. Um, we were the first to bring 4G on the wireless side to the U.S. Sprint last year was granted 350 patents, nearly a patent a day, putting us among the top 100 U.S. companies in this, in this regard. As entrepreneurs and developers look to create more innovative services for mobile devices, Sprint's application developer program provides tools and capabilities across our network, our systems, and devices that make it easier for them to innovate. Sprint incubates innovation in nearby Burlingame, California, by offering state-of-the-art developer sandboxes, coding labs, and collaboration tools where partners, equipment manufacturers, and developers can create and test. No other wireless carrier provides this kind of support for innovation partners. 
This approach we call open. We support everyone from large developers to those thinking of the latest cutting-edge cutting edge content from their basements. We don't restrict access to any applications on any operating platform. An operating platform are things like Android, Palm, RIM, and Microsoft. Our largest competitors take a closed, walled garden approach to development, creating their own carrier app stores, locking down devices with pre-prescribed search engines, and adding bloatware. We think that policing innovation in this way stifles innovation. Innovation in wireless also plays a critical role in protecting the environment. Let me give you some examples of how Sprint, uh, our innovations in wireless technology and mobility are making a difference here. I think you'll see how dangerous it could be if that innovation is, sti- is stifled um, and the innovative power and economic power of this industry is put in the hands of two companies. First, wireless technology helps consumers by providing new ways to re- reduce, reuse, and recycle. Wireless technologies allow employees to work from anywhere because they can now access all the information and applications they need at the same speed they can at the office. But nationwide, the percentage of workers that regularly work outside the office is just 3.9%. So starting in 2008, we allowed all Sprint employees in Atlanta to work from home three days a week. Adding mobility as a work-anywhere solution, our employees cut their gas consumption roughly in half. For those of you who battle the Bay Bridge traffic every day, I'm sure you'd appreciate it if a lot of fewer employees and commuters were on the road every day. Two years ago, we worked with Samsung to bring to market America's first green, environmentally friendly wireless phone, the Samsung Reclaim. Last year, we brought two more green phones to the market, the LG Remark and the Samsung Restore. Our green devices have sold well, but we've decided we need to do even more to make green truly compelling for our customers. Today, we're going to announce our fourth green phone, the Samsung Replenish. The Replenish is as green as we can make it. It's made with 82% recyclable materials. It's housed in recycled plastics. It's energy efficient and built with far fewer environmentally sensitive materials than would be typical for a cell phone or an electronic device. But to make sure it's customer friendly, we not only included the latest technology in this Android 2.2 smartphone that has both a touch and a QWERTY keypad, we are pricing this new breakthrough phone at only $49.99. On top of that, we're bringing another technology breakthrough to market with this device, a back panel charger that's a solar charger, which is only a $29 accessory. So if you're outside, maybe if you don't live in San Francisco, but you live outside, you can just you know, put it down and, and this will charge. But to, to take green really mainstream, Sprint is taking a bold step. We're lowering the monthly rate for this phone and for this phone only by $10 a month to existing and new Sprint customers. So the phone basically pays for itself in five months. I think somebody has Sprint because you're getting a signal in here. Um, (laughs) And uh, also, hopefully, you feel better about about carrying one. Let me get this guy going there. There we go. Um, today, we're also making the Samsung Restore, which we brought out last year, made of corn-based bioplastic, Sprint's first eco-friendly device, 
for our prepaid customers. So how many of you have upgraded to a new phone, say a smartphone, in the last year or two? Greg mentioned this. Um, the millions of used phones present an environmental concern that we're committed to addressing. Only 10% of cell phones are recycled each year in the U.S. That means some 140 million old or unused cell phones wind up in landfills. That's about 65,000 tons of material. At Sprint, we are attacking the problem through innovation. In 2008, we committed to achieve a recycling rate of 90% of our device sales. Last year, we launched a vastly expanded wireless handset buyback program, giving instant account credits to new Sprint customers who turn in up to three wireless devices. And those devices can come from any manufacturer, any carrier, and right now we're already about halfway to our goal. We're also trying to help consumers live more sustainably by greening the packaging we use, especially for our accessories. Today's packaging is smaller, fully recyclable, free of PVC, and includes recycled materials. This new packaging is expected to save more than 600 tons of waste annually. Earlier, I talked about Open. One of our innovations that demonstrated Sprint's commitment to Open is Sprint ID, which lets customers connect directly, not through a store, a gate, or a control point, with the brands they trust, like Disney, ESPN, Latzell, MTV, or the Home Shopping Network, just to name a few, to help customers navigate what some could argue is too much choice. For example, there's over 150,000 apps available in the Android marketplace. So Sprint ID lets you download a full pack, a complete experience, if you will, which would include a number of related apps, widgets, ringtones, wallpapers, and more, kind of a complete brand experience, all built for you around your personal interest or your business needs. So today, we're introducing the Green ID Pack, which provides information and services essential for people who want to go green on days other than just March the 17th. For example, the Green ID Pack connects people to discounts on sustainable goods and services, how to recycle different goods like batteries or bottles, where local recycling drop-off sites are, the latest environmental news, sources of locally grown produce, all in a single download. And so if I can kind of show this guy here, you know, you just go back and forth. You can see lots of different green-related screens because there's so much green content that comes down in a complete pack. The Sprint Green ID Pack is available on all, um, on on a lot of new Samsung, a lot of new Android phones, including the Samsung Replenish. So in addition to helping individual consumers, wireless technologies also helps companies and industries cut their energy use and promote sustainability. For example, in the last few years, innovation in wireless has fostered tremendous growth in what we call M2M, or machine-to-machine connectivity. Innovation is taking our industry beyond phones by creating high-speed mobile connections between smart meters, digital signs, high-definition cameras, remote sensors, laptops, appliances, cars, and even more. The development of these new M2M applications, along with the development of high-speed 4G networks, has led to stunning growth in the number of embedded M2M connections. In fact, they're expected to jump from 87 million in 2009 to 428 million by 2014. M2M is helping to reduce energy use. Solar power and wind power can be terrific, but unlike most conventional power plants, their performance can depend upon the weather. 
The wireless industry has developed innovative M2M technology that allows power companies to manage fields of solar panels and wind turbines, even if they are far away from cities. M2M technologies allow power companies to maximize, looks like they just turned one on, um, to maximize energy production and reduce the need for carbon-burning energy sources by enabling real-time response to, to output changes caused by changing weather, equipment failure, or maintenance issues. Speaking of electric power, I know Californians have been pushing for zero-emission electric cars for a long time. Electric cars are a great idea, but drivers want to know where they can charge it. Part of the answer to this question is a smart grid, a modern American electric power grid controlled by computers. While the smart grid concept has been around since the days of analog technology, new high-speed digital innovations such as 4G networks have allowed the development of more practical and sophisticated applications. With a wireless-equipped smart grid, drivers can use their phones or in-dash computers to find those charging stations before they run out of juice. To help move smart grid from idea to reality, Sprint is working with Ecotality to monitor and manage their Blink network, an infrastructure of electric vehicle chargers across the United States. Ecotality has already begun installing Blink electric vehicle charging stations and will install nearly 15,000 electric vehicle chargers at residential and commercial locations this year. In addition to helping individual customers and other industries go green, we're also working with our partners along our supply chain to promote sustainability and cut energy use. We led the industry in creating green design criteria, which include using sustainable materials and packaging, being highly energy efficient, or even self-charging, and being fully and easily recyclable in terms of what we want to see in our devices from our suppliers. We are asking our suppliers to meet these criteria. In addition, we've made our headquarters in Overland Park, Kansas, which is near Kansas City, a lab for demonstrating the benefits of green technology. Since 2008, a wind farm has been supplying 90% of the headquarters' energy, cutting more than 87,000 metric tons of CO2 a year, and that's the equivalent of taking 16,000 passenger cars off the road for a year. While we're proud of our sustainable headquarters, we're also very aware of our corporate energy use, where it comes from, about 80% of it. It comes from the energy that our network consumes. We recently announced a 4 to $5 billion network upgrade, which will not only improve network performance and coverage, it will also help lower our carbon footprint by reducing greenhouse gases over 20%. We've partnered with the Department of Energy on alternative energy research, including energy storage, and photovoltaic panels. While the research develops, we have developed hydrogen fuel cells at cell sites to provide green backup power during power outages. We're also using solar-powered energy at cell sites in California and New York, and we're exploring geothermal systems as well. These are, these and many other changes are making um, our commitment uh, in 2008 uh, more achievable. We're, and in 08, we set 10-year environmental goals, which included securing 10% of Sprint's commercial energy use from renewable sources by 2017 and reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 15% by 2017. We've already accomplished quite a bit. As uh, Greg mentioned, Newsweek ranked us number six in their 2010 rankings of America's greenest companies. The next highest-rated wireless company was number 99. 
On February 1st, the EPA ranked Sprint as one of the top 50 companies for green energy. No other wireless carrier made that list. We achieved those rankings, and we are moving toward our larger environmental goals for two reasons. We are embracing going green, and we have embraced innovation. Going green makes good business sense, in both in tangible and tangible ways. The Reputation Institute is a very well-respected organization that publishes its findings on corporate reputation each year in Forbes magazine. Their extensive research has found seven factors are the primary drivers of corporate reputation. Performance, products and services, leadership, governance, the workplace, and the two areas I've concentrated on today, innovation and citizenship. Of the 1,500 large companies that the Reputation Institute included in its worldwide study, Sprint's corporate reputation from 2009 to 2010 improved more than any other company and showed one of the greatest gains in a single year that they have ever seen. Perhaps the innovation and citizenship displayed through our open and green initiatives have played some role here. Today, the wireless industry is a terrific source of green innovation, providing essential tools needed to cut energy use and promote sustainability. But if the proposed AT&T and T-Mobile merger is allowed to push forward, it can also push the wireless industry from competition into duopoly. I believe wireless innovation is at risk, and this progress toward a greener future is at risk. It's a well-known economic fact that the most competitive industries are also the most innovative. But for the reasons we've discussed today, innovation and customer choice would be seriously threatened if a wireless industry becomes a duopoly, which is why Sprint is opposing the proposed AT&T acquisition of T-Mobile USA. I hope you'll not sit silent, but you'll also let your voice be heard on this important issue. Thanks very much. Welcome to jump up. If you, there, you got legs long enough. Uh, we're going to get this some of these things out of the way. Uh, if you can bear with us for just a moment. Um, uh, there you go. Uh, thank you. We rehearsed this today, so. Um, I noticed no plastic bottles. We've got to walk the walk here, yeah. Dan. Yeah. yeah, they're not allowed on the Sprint campus either. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Except in the cafeteria, but, you know, we got rid of them everywhere else. And you probably saved money doing that, right? Because you were spending lots of money on water. Yeah, I think uh, the city of San Francisco was spending a half a million dollars a year buying bottled water. We get free, clean water from uh, nearly free anyways. Um, Let's begin with the merger and then get on to the green issues, et cetera. You were in negotiations to merge with with T-Mobile. It's been reported. We've never... We've never um, acknowledged or denied. Well, here's your yeah. chance. Um, <laughs> um, if you were, I mean, why would that merger be okay, uh, but T-Mobile and AT&T would, would, not, would not be um, okay? Well, um, theoretically, if, uh, if Sprint and T-Mobile um, were, were talking, they, they're much, much smaller companies than either AT&T or Verizon. So even a combined Sprint and T-Mobile would be, still the third largest and still much smaller than number two. Okay. In our industry, 
number one and number two are very, very large, and then there's a huge jump down, and then there's three and four, and then there's another big stair step um, when you get to number five. So roughly, okay, and these are, you know, depends upon what you look at, but let's say revenues. Verizon's about 36% of the, of the market, AT&T about 30, Sprint 15, T-Mobile 12, and then the next biggest player, three. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a combination of, if, if you will, if AT&T were to acquire T-Mobile, that would move, if you will, the top two companies up to 78 to 80 percent of the of the industry, and that's that's a lot. Imagine you're trying to stop this. What do you think your chances are of, of uh, either amending or, or stopping AT&T and T-Mobile? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to handicap, and 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 I and I wouldn't do that. Uh, but you know, it's really primarily it's going to be up to the Department of Justice, uh, and they'll have to you know, look at all the facts and make a determination. Um, you mentioned costs. I'd like to talk about costs both for consumers and, and, and to your, your company. Uh, green products often have two attributes. They cost more, and they sometimes are niche products, you know, luxury products. Um, I think you've addressed the cost issue by making this new phone at a, at a uh, attractive. It's, it's not a premium product. It's not a premium price point. Um, how about the niche question? I mean, why not take the, the attributes of this phone and make all your phones green rather than just have, you know, a green phone and the rest are not so green? Well, I think, you know, one of the reasons we put uh, the design criteria for our, for our suppliers is to at least begin a roadmap to making the devices greener and greener, you know, each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more challenging with, uh, with some of the more advanced devices to do that. And we're also, you know, again, we're, we're a distant third from a size point of view, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're, we don't have what you might call the the market power to to drive supply to, to you know to that extent. So I think what we're able to do is show leadership and show that that the and what's very important is that consumers show, quite frankly, all of our competitors as well that they would like to go green, and then I think that'll move the industry in that direction. Um, much faster, but we we're working with our suppliers, and we have a, a plan for not only what we would call green devices for them to be more of those in our portfolio, but for all the devices to have more and more green content and green elements over time. And e-waste is an issue that, yeah. that you mentioned. Uh, was it 140 million phones that that get dumped? Every year, uh, and I think a lot of phone companies, mobile companies now will, will accept the phones back, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. It's also a good way to get cons- customers in the, the door to, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that really problem really hasn't been solved because there's a question of what happens to the phone afterwards, right? And, and where do they go to be recycled? So what are you doing there to try to really make sure that, uh, you know, 60 Minutes did a, a segment once where this company was supposedly doing the right thing, and they were shipping them off to China where they're being mm-hmm. taken apart by kids in these awful situations. So, The first thing we do is, is we try to keep those phones in use. They're refurbished. And sometimes if you, you know, and they go into the prepaid market or, mm-hmm. you, or we actually do sell, and others do sell refurbished phones, or they can go to other countries. Uh, so that's the number mm-hmm. one thing you try to do right. is, is keep the life of that Reuse phone. Reuse before you recycle. Absolutely. Um, then we have a process where we work with companies to try to put as many components out that actually have, and that's why they're, they're worth something. I mean, there's yeah. you know, metals expensive and metals and materials in them to extract them and, put, and, in essence, recycle them. And then there's a process to make sure that they don't end up in the wrong landfills and a certification process around that as well. 
some industries, uh, products ha- have uh, tackled this issue by having a, a surcharge. Uh, uh, televisions, for example, I think it's six or eight dollars, and some states have, have had that. Where they, there's actually so there's a revenue stream that's created to make sure that the materials are disposed of properly, so that there's some money in the game. So there's not an incentive to there, there, there's some value to these things. Rather, like oh, we'll just you know, put them out the back door. Would you what would you think about that for cell phones, as has happened with with televisions and other consumer electronics in California? I'd have to look at it. Um, you know, th- we've made just incredible progress in a very short period of time. What we found is the is the is what really drives behavior. You know, we told consumers a couple years ago, look, bring your phones in, and you know, it doesn't matter where you bought them. You can just leave them with us, and we'll take care of it. They didn't come in. When we started giving them money for bringing the phones in. <laughs> amazing. And <yeah>. Amazing. <laughs> they just it, um, it, it increased a lot. So. Um, you know, that's something I'm, I'm sure my folks are probably looking at all at, at, uh, at all alternatives to try to get us up to 90%. 90% recycling rate is a very aggressive goal that we've stated publicly. Uh-huh. So we're gonna we're gonna look under every rock or stone to find a way of improving that. Most manufacturers oppose those fees because they're afraid they'll hurt sales. Hmm. But here's you know, would you think that they would hurt sales if there was a fee, six dollars on a phone? Do you think that would affect sales? Especially applies to everybody. It would apply to AT&T, Verizon, everyone. Uh, it could. I mean, all, you know, I think it, it, any any fee does affect sales. There is a you know there is price elasticity with uh-huh. it, with any device. There just is, um, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea. So I, I don't know. You, you announced fifteen uh, percent greenhouse ga- gas uh, reductions by twenty seventeen. Uh, British Telecom uh, has announced that they want to do 80% carbon intensity reduction below 1997 by 2020. That sounds pretty ambitious. It does. BT has been a real leader, though. Um, I saw their CEO uh, a couple weeks ago, and I knew the CEO before him extremely well, who now runs Alcatel-Lucent, which also has a very strong environmental uh, program. Uh, you know, part of my focus on green, I think, came from living in Europe for 10 years. Right. You know, I think they're just they're, it's just more of the of – the, Lack of a better term, the culture, uh, to, to really think about sustainability and the environment over there. So, quite frankly, you know, I talk about us being number six in America as far as the greenest company. We wouldn't rank number six in Europe. Uh, I mean, they really are ahead of us, and I give them a lot of credit for that. Dan Hesse is chairman and CEO of Sprint Nextel. I'm Greg Dalton, and we're discussing sustainability at Climate One. Uh, talk about leadership. Yes, Europe. A lot of people talk about China and, you know, do you think uh, that they are really are, are leading? And of course, their their cellular infrastructure is much newer than ours, and and they have a very vibrant cellular uh, phone market. Do you think that? What, what do you think about China leading both innovation and also on the sustainability front? Well, I, I mean, I, I think China understands it, uh, and I think they will be a real leader in, you know, in sustainability and, and in our industry as well. We'll be buying buying products from them at, at some point if we're not already. What are some uh, outside of uh, communications? What are some brands that you respect that you say that I really think that they're devel- delivering on their sustainability pr- uh, promise to their customers? Well, you know, I've I've been really impressed with a lot of the kind of the computer and PC makers uh, because you know they're kind of in the same industry in the electronics mm-hmm. uh, industry. And, you know, the Dells and HPs, because uh, we, we tend to look at them more because they're more similar to, to, to our business and yeah. a lot of their processes. So we've had, 
you know, what we do is we, we bring people in from these companies to come take us through their journey and how they got from point A to point B. We're not bashful in terms of asking for input or advice from, from other companies. And, and, and in tech, so even if you look, for example, at the Newsweek rankings of the, of the greenest companies, they're dominated by technology companies. Yeah. But, uh, right. They really are. And, and they, they understood it early that they had products that not only could help because of, you know, things like telecom, you know, telecommuting and what have you. There, there's a tremendous benefit, but also the devices themselves could be a potential harm. Um, and uh, uh, so there's just, anyway, there's a lot of tech companies that are really very Also good. very innovative company uh, sectors, right? They kind of, yes. so that green is part of the innovation. It's not like you can go do green in a box or in a silo. I know That's a very you, good point. You chair the Sustainability Committee at Sprint. So how do you try to make sustainability not a niche or a, a, a Saturday hobby within the company? Well, you measure and pay people on it, and it gets their attention real quickly. Uh, so we, you know, we first of all, we, we state public goals, and every employee of the company knows that once we, you know, we not only it's not an internal goal, but it's an external goal. We Failure's go public with option. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Failure is not an option, and we will. You know, this is something we will do. Uh, and, you know, the company has to do once you know once you go out there with it. The other thing we do is at Sprint, we have grids where you have names down the column, and then you have a box, and it's either on whatever the metric is, it's either red, yellow, or green. And I think you can probably understand what that means. And no one wants to be red, and no one wants to be yellow. And so we, we measure it like anything else, like any other fin- element of financial performance in terms of where we are. So even though a lot of these goals are, let's say, we're going to get here by 2017, if we don't get here by 2011, we're not going to make whatever the goal is by 2017. So we have very specific short-term goals that we have to hit this year, and we treat them like any other benchmark or number that, uh, that that somebody has to hit. So people throughout the organization have sustainability goals as part of their performance review. That's correct. And, and corporate-wise, you, you said 10% renewable energy by 2017. Uh, we're in 2011. Can you say how close you are to 10% renewable energy now? Do you know? Uh, well, I don't think we've said it publicly. I have to be... It's another chance. Here. Yeah, I appreciate it. But um, we're... Um, uh, um, we're committed to making it. But, okay, if you won't say it, do you at least measure it? Because, oh, absolutely. Okay. We do. Right. And is, is there a consequence? What if the goals aren't met? Is there, is there a consequence, uh, either organizationally or, or for these individuals you're talking about? Um, or is it more, yeah. use a carrot or a stick, I guess? Well, we're, we're much more of a carrot company uh, in terms of incentives. Uh, but, uh, but I think people also see it as a little, there's got to be a little bit of stick there, too. You know, to, to know are really serious, but it's generally cared. The thing is, the thing is about green is your people want to make it. They're excited and love the fact that this is what we're really focusing on and right. that we have made it a goal. It is something they care about. I've had zero pushback in terms of getting people aligned and wanting to do it. Even in Kansas, which with all due respect, people don't think of the heartland as being the most green green part of the country. You find there that people except still which, want... Except you see these wind turbines everywhere. Uh, and uh, On your corporate campus, you have wind turbines generating electricity for the... Well, actually, the wind farm is uh, is west of us, but okay. we were the anchor tenant. Okay. Uh, that, you know, it was built really for us, and then they could provide wind power to, uh, you know, to other companies and, and residential neighborhoods in the area. And so it's good for 
recruitment, retention, morale, all those, sort, all those sorts of things. Absolutely. People want to work for an innovative com- company. Um, we've had other conversations here about brands. There's a lot of greenwashing out there in, in consumer. Um, and, and companies, um, consumers don't always trust when a company says, we're green. So And they shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, there is, and we take that very, very seriously. And so we, even though we do talk about what we are doing on the, you know, in terms of green, we're very careful to make sure we have something real and tangible and something to back it up because we know there's a, a level of skepticism out there with respect to greenwashing, and we never want to go that far. Yet others would say that if you force-ranked uh, uh, people to say, why do you buy a cellular phone? that green wouldn't be in the top five. It would not. As a matter of fact, when we, um, I did get some pushback internally when we came out with our first green phone because the market research showed that customers didn't want a green phone. They didn't care about a green phone. And the, the market research people kept going back, somebody's not paying attention to the market research. We're supposed to be a data-driven company, blah, 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 because this mm. we keep taking this phone off and somebody keeps putting it back on. And I was in the <laughs> meeting, I said, that's me. I keep putting it back on. We're going to have a green phone uh, because I believe, like a lot of things, customers don't know what always know what they want. The research won't always tell you that. I mean, the consumers didn't, you know, call up Steve Jobs and say, you know, I want an iPad or, you know, I want an iTouch or I want an iPhone. Or the Henry Ford yeah. famous one. If I would have asked them what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a great example. So this was one of those things that you just we just intervened and – and did it. So you believe in leading, not, all, not only following. Uh, yeah. Okay, and how many units of these green phones have you sold, or percentage-wise, are they still fairly small? You said it sold well. Yeah, on a percentage basis, they're still fairly small because uh, uh, some of the, the screens and what have you that go with the kind of the greatest high-end 4G devices, they haven't been able to make eco yet and some of the casing and, and, and okay. what have you, but that will come. Uh, so, but they, they they are selling well as an individual device, but you know they're not in the sales category of let's say the Evo 4G, mm-hmm. you know, or you know our competitors the iPhone. Those those are kind of in a class by themselves. But they're successful enough that you want to keep doing them. Absolutely, it's still profitable for us to offer the device. Okay, yes. so you're not losing money. These are not lost leaders that no, you're doing for. Correct. Dan Hesse is chairman and CEO of Sprint. I'm Greg Dalton. We're discussing uh, sustainability in the communications industry at Climate One. Uh, part of any CEO's job is to oversee the allocation of capital inside the company. And you've said that uh, sometimes you allow people inside the company to make investments that may not show a sharp financial return in a f- typically two or three years for a company, but you want them to do it anyways. Why? How's that play? Well, so, for example, a lot of these uh, call it investments, green investments, don't have the uh, the payback period, the return on investment that mm-hmm. some others do, but they're still positive. So, for example, putting in solar panels, it's going to be positive. If, you know, typically for us, three-year payback. You know, if it's not, if it doesn't pay back in three years, That's drop pretty, off. Pretty standard. Yeah. Pretty standard. Some of these will have a payback, but you just have to have a longer period. And so, what I can do is I can provide the air cover and say, okay, for um, or you know, or let's say a lead certified new store or what have mm-hmm. you. They will make sense in terms of energy savings, but over a longer period of time. So I can intervene and allow the payback period to be longer. I don't want to do things that that are negative, but I can extend that, that, that payback period. And uh, 
those are the kinds of things that I think the CEO can do to encourage green. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is um, they aren't always going to be the single most cost-efficient. You know, efficient. And a lot of – we have a very short-term uh, culture in terms of political cycles, investment cycles, et cetera. Uh, that's pretty rare because most CEOs wouldn't make that investment because – you're not going to be around when, when, when the benefits come due. Well, you're I hope so. Well, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> but the, the typical, the typical, well, the, the typical duration of a CEO yeah. is, is a handful of years, and That's people true. don't make investments that they think that someone else is going to, you know, benefit from. Yeah, um, but part of it also is there's this intangible piece that the accounting and the finance people don't have. So, right. um, whether it's the green rankings or the Reputation Institute. You know, ratings or what have you. There's there's an intangible brand piece that you can't put a dollar on, but you can make a case. They do help you in the market. People would come into your stores or look out or or, or come and look at Sprint's products because they know we're green or they know we're you know we're socially responsible. That you know again you can you can add that even though there's no way to really quantify that. We've talked in the past about about energy prices. Um, oil prices are spiking. I know you locked in some electricity you know, over a long-term contract, clean uh, solar, uh, solar uh, actually wind, sorry, electricity. Are energy prices affecting you yet in your data centers or your operations? Well, we certainly see them uh, because we are still a fairly large energy user, you know, in you know in our network. Sure. Um, but. Uh, but not, you know, not enough to be a, we'll call it material impact on our bo- on our bottom line because we have some other, so many other costs and expenses. And By the way, energy in other parts of the country, I mean, our other parts of the world, like what's going on in Japan, could potentially impact us in terms of device supplies. Our whole industry could. Because of the the, the manufacturing in the Japan manufacturing has been in Japan. affected. That's yeah, like it's affected the auto companies. Yes. Um, et cetera. So you're mainly electricity you care about more uh, than, than perhaps liquid transportation fuels. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. If, if there is a price on carbon or, or you know, if, if you know, we get serious about climate change, electricity prices might go up. And in, in the past you said actually a uh, personal view that you thought energy may and should be more expensive. Do you still hold that view? I do. But, again, it's all those years in Europe. I mean, way back it's cheap when, compared to Europe here. It yeah, was so cheap. we scream at four dollars a gallon. It's half of the price of Europe. Still. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and you know, you know, I don't want to get I don't want to get all people sorts of people mad at me from a from a political perspective. Uh, but you know, I I do think that energy is is cheaper than it should be. You know, I do think there's something to be said for having higher energy prices to conserve. People will conserve. I mean, you look at when do people carpool, and I've been around for a long time. When energy gets expensive. And that's, you know, so I think there's a, there's a benefit to it. And, and if it was, let's say, in, in the form of a government tax uh, versus other forms of taxation, and, and we do need more tax revenues. I mean, we do have a, a fiscal crisis in, you know, in the U.S. And there's multiple ways of, of solving it, but I think it's, it's both from the spending and the revenue side. I think there's an opportunity for, uh, for, for revenue there. And, and some of that revenue can be reinvested in the new technologies, new sustainable technologies, uh, and, and what have you. It's pretty remarkable for a CEO of a $30 billion company to say energy maybe should be more expensive. Typically, CEOs want things right uh, to be to be less expensive. Uh, where do you, uh, in the policy world, where do you go? I know you testified before the Senate once. You know, do you make that case in, in industry circles or in Washington that, hey, you know, we, we probably could be okay with a little higher energy and we could still be competitive? Well, I'm not considered an expert on the subject, so I'm, I haven't been asked about that specific question. I talk more about 
green uh, and what we're doing and some of the opportunities that, that, that wireless has to improve American productivity and actually reduce the energy use of tangential industries, not even our industry, but others, as they, like things like M to M, what I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, putting chips and meters so you don't have to roll the truck out to check, right. you know, yeah. the meter and all sorts, there's all sorts of applications of what we do to reduce energy consumption in this, in this country as well as the, the things that we do to reduce our own energy consumption as an industry because these phones, you know, people are, you know, there's 300 cell phones probably plugged in tonight. You know, pulling, yeah, right. you know, pulling, and even pulling energy out of the wall. And even if they're not plugged in, the chargers are, are phantoms, uh, vampires. Yeah, they're, exactly. So there's a lot, there, there are so many things that we can do within our own industry in terms of our network and the devices. But I think the, the, the larger impact for us is the impact that our technology can have in reducing energy use in, in other industries. In fact, we had the, the sustainability officers from uh, Google and Microsoft here on the stage about two weeks ago saying exactly that same thing, that IT can be part of the solution. It's part of the problem, but it can be a bigger part of the solution. Yes. Uh, we're going to go to audience questions and bring a microphone out right here. If you'd like to uh, invite you, uh, if you're on this side of the room, please come around the other door. My colleague Adam there will um, invite you up. To, well, first, we have our on-deck sec- on deck circle in that chair there, and uh, then we'll have a microphone um, but first, uh, I'll ask one more question while we're getting while we're getting oriented. And if uh, no one steps, yeah, okay. Um, your stock, like your competitors, has been kind of flat for the last few years. Um, do you think that that the sustainability efforts have have um, you know improved your your financial performance? Have they been a drag? Clearly, you don't think they've been a drag on financial performance. But when you go to Wall Street, do you still talk about green the same way? I talk about green on every earnings call. Uh, a little bit, not a major uh-huh. piece, uh, because, you know, I know the, the analysts want to hear other things. That's the, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important that they understand, you know, because every, you know, every, when we talk about a quarter, we typically have some milestone that we've achieved or new device that we've brought out that, mm-hmm. that's green. It's part of our brand. And when you do an earnings call, when you talk to, you know, the analysts, you know, you're also talking to the media often as well. Mm-hmm. Um, your people are listening in. We know our competitors are listening in. And so if it truly is an important priority, you talk about it all the time. And so, uh, um, but it is not a, a big element of, of uh, focus on the, with the analysts. I think they see it as relatively neutral, um, in terms of, they don't really care one way or the other. If they, if they saw it as, as making our financial performance worse, mm-hmm. they probably would would uh, would lean in. But, sure. Uh, but doesn't hurt. Doesn't help a lot. Yeah. Sure. Dan Hesse is chairman and CEO of Sprint. Next, uh, let's have our uh, audience question, please. Thank you. My name is Carter McCree, and my question has to do with that green pack that you were describing earlier of apps. And I'm wondering how easy is it for somebody who purchases that green pack to then go ahead and use their social network and whether that's LinkedIn or that Zuckerberg thing or, you know, one of those social network sites to take that information and tell their friends about it? Well, um, first of all, the, the ID pack is, it couldn't be simpler to download. There's a little, there's a little button that looks like it's got a little ID on the, on the first screen. And when you hit that, you go to a menu of all the different ID packs you can choose from. You know, like ESPN, that's the that's my cover pack. It's got all my, you know, I don't know how the Royals are doing, um, et cetera. The, you have the green ID pack, could be Disney or, or what have you. You hit that, it, down, it downloads it. Then other than that, your phone works just the way 
uh, it always does. It does everything. It doesn't cha- change anything else in terms of your other apps, so your email and your your favorite websites, your texting, your Twitter, your Facebook. Uh, so it's very it's very easy. I mean, everything else really works the same. So if you like it, though, we would love it if you tell your tell your friends about it. But it is only a limited number of devices that you can get Sprint ID on. It's it's uh, it's roughly you know about about half of our Android lineup currently has the which we have a fairly large you know, lineup of, of Android as the as the software platform are currently enabled for uh, for Sprint ID packs, and we hope to have it available on all our Android phones uh, in the in the future. Let's take another audience question, please. Hi, Mr. Hesse, Lewis Drager from ComDaily. How are you? Hi. You and your colleagues have spent the past few years apparently bringing Sprint quite a way up a pretty big hill to compete with the bigger players. Uh, if AT&T is allowed to buy T-Mobile, what are Sprint's uh, prospects of um, success or even survival, and what would it require? Well, that's uh, something I don't want to contemplate, actually. Um, no, but... Uh, you know, my nature and our nature uh, is, you know, we'll continue to compete as well as we can. Uh, but I think when you have so much, you look, you look at things like exclusive devices. Exclusive devices uh, are really a, a function of, of market power. If you can buy enough of them and you're going to whoever the supplier is, you just say, look, I'll take, you know, I'll take all your production. And that's how an exclusive comes, you know, comes into being. The buying power of the, the two largest companies could get large enough. They almost could, they, they, they could restrict our access to some of the cool devices, for example. From a cost structure point of view, um, uh, there's obviously not only economies of scale, but if you take a look at the vertical integration of AT&T and Verizon, where they also control the last mile, the, their landline monopolies, the old bell system monopolies, if we want to put out a new cell site, roughly one-third or about 30% of the cost of a new cell site is money that we have to pay AT&T Verizon to connect our cell site back to our network, what we call special access. It's the kind of the landline side of the business, and, and those rates are, are very, very high. I think it just makes it more difficult uh, for us or any, or any wireless company uh, to compete, and that's why what I believe you're going to see is we're not going to be alone in terms of uh, opposing uh, this merger. And I think actually some of the larger impacts will be on the suppliers, on distribution, on app developers, and what have you, uh, because there's going to be just a lot more, a lot less choice and a lot more control. Next question, please. My name is Olaf Hansen. In your introduction, you mentioned M2M and also people uh, being stuck on the uh, Bay uh, Bridge to get to San Francisco, and I'd like to combine the two in a question. Um, um, what is uh, Sprint doing, and maybe you want to answer about your industry sector, to use smartphones to make cars become smart. So you get a phone call, there's a, a traffic accident up ahead or traffic congestions. Uh, I would imagine I'm asking about the industry sector. There may be some questions about uh, developing a common standard of that interface. We're, uh, we're actually um, the provider for Hyundai has a, a new capability. I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. Um, uh, it's similar, but it's a, a newer version of like GM's OnStar that will be powered by Sprint that makes, if you will, the car smarter. So it's everything from SOS. Of course, there's G- there's GPS capabilities, concierge kinds of services, entertainment. 
uh, et cetera, that, that will come through uh, these, we'll call it M2M capabilities. GM OnStar is a, a, a good example of, some, of a company that was a real early leader in terms sorry, of Sorry, M, M2M meaning? Machine to machine. Machine to machine. I apologize. Um, machine to machine. Um, so the, the major wireless carriers are working very closely with automobile manufacturers to, in fact, embed chips. So the cars really become a lot smarter. Um, and what I talked about in terms of what we're doing on the Blink network with Ecotality, uh, the, the plan is that uh, the, it will, in essence, the cars will know where these charging stations are. And you can get electric vehicles, so you can charge, you can get to them, um, you know, more directly and, and faster. So there's a, there's a lot coming down the road. By the way, on the automobile side, one thing I will mention that we announced very recently, uh, there are, in addition to green, I'm also the, the chair of the CTIA, which is the Wireless Industry Association. And one thing the chair gets to do each year is, is, you know, is kind of pick the, the industry priorities for, for that year. Um, and the two I picked, which were both first, one was green, uh, and the other is distracted driving. Uh, I have a 15-year-old boy and a 12-year-old boy, and, and so I have a personal interest in reducing distracted driving. So what we're going to be coming out with shortly um, is that um, we'll have a service on our devices where uh, if at the election of a parent or the, let's say, the teenage driver, whoever it might be, um, the, the phone, once it starts moving at 10 miles an hour, is going to turn off. And whoever calls it will be getting a little message, this person's driving or the, the car's moving, and they'll respond to your message at a later time. So no texting, no emails, no calling in a, you know, in a moving vehicle uh, to try to reduce uh, distracted driving. So it's just an element of the kinds of smarts we're trying to combine with uh, the transportation industry, transportation industry being one of those verticals, if you will, that I think can really benefit from wireless technology. Dan Hesse is chairman and CEO of Sprint Nextel. We're talking about the telecommunications industry at Climate One of the Commonwealth Club. Let's have another audience question, please. Hi, I'm Sahas Kata from ScatterTech. And uh, I think consumers that I speak with are very excited for eco-friendly devices, but we've also seen a lot of people complain about low-cost Android devices, which often don't receive updates to future versions of Android and often have a hard time running um, processive-intensive um, apps. And uh, when a device like the HTC Evo 4G, which is your flagship device, costs only 18% more over a total uh, cost of ownership, uh, do you really think that people will stick with eco-friendly devices over a two-year period versus letting them end up in landfills? Well, it's a you know, and this is why we developed these um, these design criteria for our manufacturers to to get these green elements put in all the devices throughout you know throughout the portfolio. Um, you know, you raise you know you, you you raise a good point. It's more challenging. To have what we call these eco, these um, these eco restrictions uh, on on devices when you know, you're trying to create these incredible powerhouses, uh, and if you don't have any of those restrictions, you can do more. Uh, so, um, but we uh, but this device, for example, at its price point, there's nothing out there on the marketplace at this price point that beats it from a capability non-eco device. If you're you know in terms of the price of the phone or the monthly rate or what have you from a there is not you cannot get better performance at the same price and that's what we're really aiming at and our next big goal is to develop some eco devices that are if you will you know in the 
Ferrari category. Next audience question, please. Hi, Ken Sherman from CNET. Uh, I had a couple questions. I was wondering, you mentioned in your remarks that if the merger goes through, it would harm sustainability initiatives in the wireless industry. I was wondering how exactly that would happen. And also, if the merger doesn't go through and T-Mobile is allowed to T-Mobile just, unfortunately, doesn't make it. Do you see Sprint going after any T-Mobile's assets, any Spectrum, anything like that? Well, in the second um, item, I, you know, I can't speculate on, on what might happen if it, if it doesn't uh, go forward. My comment was really that, um, that advances in environmental areas in wireless is dependent upon innovation. And it's innovation that would be harmed. You know, the, all the forces of innovation, i.e., Competitiveness uh, that um, that will potentially stifle our progress in green is if innovation as a whole is uh, is harmed. Are we at the end of the audience questions? Okay, good. Uh, Dan Hesse is chairman and CEO of Sprint Nextel. We're discussing sustainability at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. Um, someone here in the audience mentioned earlier that there used to be a, a green czar at uh, uh, Sprint, uh, Kathy, somebody, and that position no longer exists. So does that mean that, you know, what happened to that position? Does that mean you backed off those initiatives or maybe you're taking on that role? I can tell you, when I started in the company, uh, we really didn't have uh, a green organization like we do now. Um, I think the most thing, the, first of all, we've made green everybody's job. You know, a lot of times, typically when you see a czar, it means it's not really important. Because it's not it's not you know part of the mainstream. It's right. like well yep. we'll have this 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 person over here. We got you know we have thirty thousand employees and it's this one person's job instead of thirty thousand right. people's green, job. The green box on the side. Yeah. yeah. So I we do have some people whose full time job is to help us you know measure and and reach all these goals. Uh, but um, you know it's in it's in our kind of our corporate social responsibility group. Uh, but all of us have commitments and objectives and we spend time on it or what have you. So, you know, I wasn't even aware there was a green czar. Um, it could have been somebody who, I mean, I don't know, like say that, so, yeah. somebody that, that, you know, um, that, well, anyway, I won't, I won't Gave say Gave themselves that, that title, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. Um, is it part of your performance review from the board? Um, well, uh, what I do with the board, the way it works with the, with the board is, is, is I set my objectives each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that, that I'll put in terms of my objectives for the year. And then at the end of the year, I say, this is how I did against my objectives. So it is part of a, a very broad um, list of, we'll call it performance criteria. Right. But one of the things that I talk to the board about, uh, and, and in my annual review, I let mm-hmm. them know what we did or didn't do with mm-hmm. respect of our objectives on green. Uh, the investor community is is uh, there's some work uh, afoot in the investor community to have more disclosure about about carbon risk, carbon disclosure. I believe you're part of the carbon disclosure project, a group of companies that voluntarily say that. Mm-hmm. Do you see more interest from Wall Street? I mean, you said the analysts don't really care about green, but there's a set of institutional investors that do want to see more disclosure on, partly because of just risk. What's yeah. your future risk? As well as uh, you know. Well, I'd like to see more focus on it. I, I, honestly, I don't really see the signs yet. I mean, there are always specific funds or investors. Green, yeah, green, right, niche that, things. Niche yeah. things that look at that. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, the, it's 
because there are a lot, you know, I hate to say larger issues, but to our investors, uh, there are. And, you know, I've been here in this job for a little over three years, uh, and I'm the one that talks about green. I'm almost never asked about green, and that hasn't changed in over three years. Interesting, interesting. Uh, obviously, if you're building coal plants, you're more likely to have something like that. If you're, or if your uh, insurance company certainly see the risk in terms of the claims against insurance, uh, they're, they're feeling the hit. And what you seem, what I hear you saying is telecommunications, not there yet. Not yet, not, not yet, no. Uh, our guest today is CEO uh, of Sprint Nextel, Dan Hesse. Last question is, you know, where do you think this is sustainability is going to go uh, in five years from, from now in terms of uh, credibility, in terms of uh, information for consumers with simple that they can understand? There's a lot of uh, labels out there. Energy Star is one, but there's, I mean, there's hundreds if not thousands of labels out there that don't mean that much. I mean, will there be one in the telecommunications industry that says this phone is green and I don't have, need to know all the complexity behind that, but I'm, I have confidence in it. All consumers do. Think we'll get there? Um, I don't know, and I don't know if I'm a huge fan of, of labels, partly because you just take a look at the real estate on the phone. There's not much room to stick another label on the thing. Yeah, all right. Um, and I think it's really more the consumer is becoming much more educated uh, about, and that's why when when we say a phone is green, you know, it's, it's not really a label, but if you go into our store, you go on the website, we list why. It's green mm-hmm. in terms of how it's made, materials, recyclable, the packaging. They, they can look at the packaging. We let them know what's in the packaging. And I think just over time, they'll make those, they'll make those choices. Uh, but it's hard to say whether there'll be labels or certifications. We are working on one with a number of companies with UL, you know. Um, Underwriters UL, Laboratory, yeah. Yeah, yeah to, uh, uh, to create some, uh, maybe some, uh, some processes and, if you will, a kind of a certification around uh, green manufacturing. Would that be for the chargers or not? This is this is uh, even more than that. Okay, yeah. so that, that the the energy used in making a phone. Uh, it, in, uh, the it's really more the, the the way the device is is, is how efficient the, the device is itself. Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think we've come to the end of our time. I'd like to thank Dan Hesse, Chairman and Sprint of Chairman and CEO of Sprint Nextel, for his comments here today at Climate One. I'm Greg Dalton. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.